Hello and welcome to another very special Empire podcast. Today we've got Warwick Davis in the interviewee's chair. He's talking about the 25th birthday special edition Blu-ray of Willow, as well as Harry Potter, Star Wars, the Leprechaun series, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Life's Too Short, the list goes on and on. It's 40 minutes in total, and the people in the interviewer's chairs are Helen O'Hara and Phil DeSemelin. Enjoy! All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a special issue of the Empire podcast. We are joined today by one of the biggest box office stars in history, nearly $9 billion at the worldwide box office in his lifetime. Warwick Davis, welcome. Thank you. $9 billion. It's $8.895 billion. Wish I'd seen a Tell me you've that. got back end on that. Yeah. $9 <laughs> billion. That's quite yeah. a lot of money, isn't it? It's all right, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's that, that's not relative to anything, really, doesn't it, mate? <laughs> I mean, saying those figures is, is, is crazy talk. But yeah, thank you for that. That's a lovely introduction. Well, no problem. You. Welcome. So you. um, you're here in particular, I guess, to talk about Willow, which is now out on Blu-ray and uh, DVD. Mm. I'm very excited about this. I'm, I'm a long-term fan of Willow. Genuinely, my little sister, uh, we, we were talking the other day and she's been, she, she's gotten married. They're not having babies yet, but they're thinking about it. And they're at least thinking about baby names, which they quite enjoy thinking about. And yes. Elora is one of them. Laura, that's a nice yeah. name. Yeah, over over the course of the last 25 years since Willow came out, I've met lots of Elora's, lots of Willows, male and female. Yeah. No, there's been no others. No Mad Mardigans. <laughs> no Mad Mardigans. <laughs> Funnily enough, it's <laughs> odd, isn't it? But uh, yeah, there haven't been any Mad Mardigans. No Finn Rizels, no Frangines. Oh, Maybe in yeah. France. Maybe. Rule. But uh, but yeah, 25 years ago that film was uh, was was released. Uh, and, um, and it's amazing to think... Um, here we are again talking about it all those years on. I know. Um, so how, how was it uh, all those years ago? Because you were only, what, 17 when you made it? Yeah, I was 17 years old. Um, it was the first role that I had ever done where I was out of behind a mask, basically. Yeah. visible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, bef- before that I'd been hidden, you know, in, in furry suits and in goblin heads and all that sort of thing. So, so, so this was, you know, quite different for me. Um, and it was about making the acting more subtle, uh, because in, in in a mask you have to kind of overdo the body language to get any sense of you know any sense of character mm. through all of that. Um, but yeah, doing something without without the mask I had to had to bring everything down a bit. And and Ron Howard, the director, was brilliant at just kind of helping with all of that stuff and just making sure that you know it was a performance you know worthy of the amount of money they were spending. <laughs> <laughs> Who are the actors that you sort of most looked up to at that time? Uh, all of them. Yeah. I, I look up to everyone <laughs> in life. Um, but uh, but I mean, what from, from the film from Willow? Yeah. Um, I mean, I looked up to Val Kilmer because I knew he knew what he was doing. Uh, you know more than I did at that point. Um, and he'd just been in Top Gun, so you know, he was hot. Mm. I don't mean hot in the like the whore sense. I mean hot as in hot property. He's so hot right now, kind of. You know. Yeah. Sense. Yeah. Well, not literally now. No, you just no, mean that was what I would say. Would you? But you might think he's hot in another way. Well, maybe mm-hmm. then, yeah. Oh, not so much now. I mean, have I you seen that picture of me and him recently? I don't. I don't think we look too bad, <laughs> considering uh, twenty-five years has elapsed. It's, fair, it's a fair point. Careful how you answer this. I'm, I'm sitting I'm, in the room yeah, with you. <laughs> I didn't see the picture, but I, I okay. prepared myself to be amazed later. Yeah, be amazed. Yeah. You will be amazed. And we've not been retouched in any way wow. whatsoever. And we did a little um, a little video sort of retrospective talking about the film and stuff, uh, which is which is out there in, in the interweb. Did you both meet your wives on that film? Is that right? You met your wife, I believe. I'm, I met both my wives on that film. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, um, I, I didn't. Well, I, I, I did meet Sam. You're kind of, you, you've hit on something there that I'd never really considered. Hmm. But I did first meet my wife on that film. Okay. 
And Val met his wife on that film and has since divorced her. Well, but 50% happy ending. But I haven't divorced my wife. So, yeah, it is a... It's a fairy tale, oh, isn't it? That's lovely. It's lovely. More ways than one. The uh, any talk of Willow Two working with Val again? You know, Val and I talked about it actually. Did you? Um, partly in jest, we did. But then he did start to say, you know, we should go back to New Zealand. We should just film some stuff. <laughs> I can imagine me and him with backpacks and a camera, just sort of going around New Zealand filming stuff to send to George, saying, hey, "What do you think of this?" I don't know, but he was well, kind of up for doing something. I mean. You know, I think it'd be interesting to to explore the characters more. I mean, especially now we're both older and, you know, is Willow a better sorcerer than he used to be? You know, has he become the, the high old one of the village? You know, what's happened to Mad Martigan's character? You know, it, I think there's there's a story to be told, certainly. Mm. Um, you know, whether it w- could be done as a, as a as a feature film or even a TV series, who knows? Because there's some great fantasy TV, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. You Game know, of Thrones and so on. Now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh so, yeah, I don't know, never say never. That'd be cool. Yeah, it'd be fun, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Mm. I mean, and to be honest, George Lucas, you know, he's given up Star Wars now. Um, he he's got time. He's, he's got time. In he's given up Star Wars. <laughs> well, you know George I mean. is retiring, isn't he? But uh, but that's not to say that uh, Lucasfilm could not uh, could not do it, you know. And I could, yeah, I would, I'd be up for it. I think it'd be, be really nice to, to explore that character. And, you know, I think we're moving into a time again of, of you know, fantasy genre films being quite popular mm. again and... And like as 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 we talked about TV shows and things like that, so uh, yeah, it's true. It's sort of come full circle, hasn't it? With, yeah, with Game of Thrones and with sort of Snow White and the Huntsman mm. and Jack and the Giant. So, do you have any idea why that is? Do you do you have a sense of? Well, I used to think it was to do with sort of generations. You know, you get a generation enjoying that film and then they grow up, and yeah. so, so, But then, of course, there's always a new generation coming behind them. But yeah, it's it's. I, I don't really know. I mean, I I think the film industry responds to what the audience is responding yeah. to. So I think if if you have a big hit that's in the fantasy genre, then other others want to follow that success and mm. they make films of that that genre. And then before you know it, you've got quite a few, haven't you? And if a few of them do quite well, then mm. it, it's a compounding effect, mm. you know. And I guess the, the 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 people that were brought up on like Willow and Princess Bride now have kids, mm. and those are the sort of films they might want to take their kids to see. Absolutely. Exactly. I mean, that, that's what I hear all the time is, you know, I grew up with the film, loved it, and I had the pleasure of showing my kids or my grandkids. And so it's, it's, it's lovely that it's thought of in that way that people kind of think, fancy film, oh yeah, I remember Willow, let's show the kids. Because I, I love doing that with my kids, you know, not showing them my films. I don't feed them entirely on the diet of those. But, I mean, you know, just pulling out things like Gremlins or stuff or The Goonies, things that I used to enjoy watching, and yeah. then you can show them and... Uh, it's quite nice sitting there reminiscing. It's, it's one; it's an excuse to watch them again, and um, and two, you can see them getting the enjoyment out yeah. of it, mm. or criticising the special effects, which they normally do. <laughs> <laughs> well, that looks a bit rubbish, doesn't it? I said, well, that did, does, doesn't it? Didn't then? You got to remember this film is however old it is. But I mean, taking it back to Willow, I think that Willow stands up pretty well in that mm. in that regard. You know, George Lucas was pushing ILM at that point when we made Willow, obviously all the time to to do better and to actually come up with techniques to achieve what he wanted to see him and him and Ron's vision was for the film. So you always had things that were, you know, at the forefront of the, the technology at that point. And it's the first use of morphing in a film, uh, which is pretty cool. Yeah, with the Finn Rizal stuff. Mm. I was recently at Lucasfilm cool. actually last year and... Um, I went through the archives and I saw the in-between stages of the morphing. So they would create like a weird sort of half tiger, half tortoise, which was the... And they'd build that as a as a puppet and then film it and the computer would fill in 
the rest of it wow. in between and things. Yeah. It was fascinating. I got to um, got to hold my magic acorns again and <laughs> wave my wand around a bit. Yeah. Um, did, did the acorns yeah. differ much from normal acorns? They're a bit bigger. Okay. I remember when I got hold of them, I was like, oh, gosh, it's quite big, this acorn. Um, but they're basically just made of plastic, just so that... Yeah, I don't know why I didn't just get real ones, but they were they were <laughs> they were quite big and uh, and they're magic, obviously. obviously. So that's maybe why they're slightly bigger. But there's an interesting thing about my acorns in the film. <laughs> um, uh, you should come I, and I work in our office, now. Warriors. Uh, there's an interesting. <laughs> there's something interesting. Uh, there's an interesting story about my acorns. Um, no, it's all there. Anyway, you know Willow's magic acorns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you watch the film. You realise at the end, right, he's having the, the confrontation with Bad Morder, isn't he? Yep. And he pulls out that acorn, he looks at it, like, it's his last one. And he throws it, doesn't he? Yeah. She starts to turn to stone, but she fights off the spell. Crushes right? the acorn, yeah. But think about it. By then, he's only really thrown two acorns, so he does have another one. But there's been a bit taken out of the film in the middle, a whole uh-huh. sequence, where he used that second acorn at that point oh. so he really was on his last one by the end oh i see see so this scene that has been taken out does actually exist on the blu-ray oh. a little feature um it was a deleted scene that uh, that takes place in in the section where willow has gone to the island of finn Rizel and to get her she's a possum at that point pops her in the boat starts to row back to the mainland again there there was a big storm that morda conjured up a, a tempest a storm to try and kill Willow and Vinrazel. Um, didn't manage to kill him, nearly drowned him. He survived. The film then, as we know it, picks up of me sitting in a little hut, all wet, talking to Vinrazel, and she's going, what do you mean you're not a, you're not a sorcerer? You're yep. a farmer. So if you're looking carefully, you see I've got wet hair at that point. That's why I would have had wet hair. And that's where the other acorn went. During that sequence, I try and turn something to stone, but accidentently turn the boat to stone. You're giving us a blow-by-blow blow on the continuity errors in the movie, work. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, well, it's, it's but... an interesting thing, because if you were watching, you go, I wonder, but now that's answered for you, yep. and you can find it on the DVD, Blu-ray. You can find it. The sequel edit. could be The Hunt for the Third Acorn. <laughs> <laughs> the Hunt for the Third Acorn. Where is Willow's Third Acorn? Mm-hmm. Could be a little trivia question a to win a signed copy of the Blu-ray, perhaps, <laughs> even. <laughs> which, uh, which doesn't exist at the moment, the, uh, the competition, but uh, you it may will. want to run that. You can have that one on me. Excellent, thank you. <laughs> We're setting that up now. So um, we mentioned uh, Lucasfilm a minute ago. You know, obviously everyone's talking right now about episode seven. Yeah, as someone who's been in a few Star Wars movies at this mm-hmm. point in your life, uh, are you are you back? Do you want to be back? I'd love to be back. <laughs> I'd love to be back again. Um, I haven't been signed up uh, at this point, but uh, I'm dropping lots of hints. Yeah. Have so, you had any conversations with anybody yet? I haven't. I haven't had any conversations. Are you following with all of the... Well, with us. Well, with us. We're, we're conversing about it. I know how important you are to the world of film. Very much and so also, I think J.J. Abrams, does he listen to this podcast? Religiously. So From the Star, Star Trek. So I'm writing it here now, J.J. Excellent. <laughs> give me a part, you know, it makes sense. I mean, it'd be lovely to do it, wouldn't it? Because having been in the classic trilogy and the prequels and then it'd be lovely to just do a little bit in... That's, I think it's a good thing that we're seeing Star Wars again because... Mm. There's more story to tell, and, and it does give an opportunity for actors like me to be in it again. <laughs> I want a lightsaber this time, though. It doesn't everyone, but I think that would be really fun. To... What, what colour lightsaber would you have? Uh, what colours haven't been used up? Well, there's been purple, green, Mauve. blue and red. Pink? I guess. Yellow. Green. I love yellow. 
as well. It's my favourite colour. Yellow lightsaber. But I wanted to play a villain. A villain with a yellow lightsaber. It contradicts itself, doesn't it? I couldn't go, <laughs> Skywalker. Do you like my yellow lightsaber? I mean, it doesn't make any sense, does it? He's got to have something... something Black. Black. Black lightsaber. A black one. Because it's black light, and somehow that's more damaging. You only have to look at it and you're dead. (laughs) (laughs) Or it sucks everything in around it. Anything within the radius of like three feet gets sort of sucked into it. It's like a a black hole generator. yourself, because that'd be... Yeah, I don't know how that'd be. If you're holding a handle, it sort of can't get you. Okay, fine. This is like one of George Lucas's brainstorming sessions when he comes up with Star Wars. That's exactly what he does. I think it's exactly like the one that came up with Jar Jar anyway. Right. Where do we leave the the Ewoks? What's their role going to be, do you think? They're still on Endor. They're having a massive party still. They're still on it. They're still. I mean, it's it's a banging party. That is, it's still going, and they've they've sort of Vader's fire's just gone out. It's just burned away. Yeah, and um, it's sort of the 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 next morning, the morning after the party. Some of them are carrying on. Some of them are laid out. So they're not going to be a lot of use to the rebellion at that point. No, they're they're finished (laughs) with. The the rebels are gathering the bits and pieces together, tripping over the Ewoks who are unconscious, and. Jumping on board, and they're stealing all the sort of remaining Empire sort of equipment that's there, sort yeah. of ships and what have you, and going off, leaving Endor behind. Wicket's a bit going? sad, he's, he's sort of a bit depressed. Is he? Yeah, but we won't see that. <laughs> I think it'd be upsetting for an audience to see that, and, and for me to get back in a furry suit again. <laughs> so we don't need to see that, but we can imagine yeah. his despair. <laughs> Michael Haneke's uh, <laughs> Wicket. So they, they all fly off. And then some sort of bad stuff happens somewhere else. Oh, no. And they go, oh, we better go over there because I've heard there's some little dude with a black lightsaber <laughs> <laughs> that's sucking everyone in. Well, JJ, if you're listening, there you go. <laughs> Episode 7, 8 and probably 9 as Written, well. done. Written, done. <laughs> yeah, that's three movies. Right I mean, there. you're saying that the, the suit was very, very uncomfortable. How, how does it rank? I mean, what's the, what's the kind of most... No, it's pretty rank, actually, right really? now. Oh. After a few months <laughs> in it, it was rank. Um, it it wasn't too bad. I mean, I was eleven at the time, so for me, it was I was just having fun. I mean, you know, I was I was working with my heroes, uh, you know, and I looked at them, and you know, that was Han Solo standing there, that was Luke Skywalker. You know, they they weren't the actors; uh, they they were their characters to me. So so you know, putting the suit, and I got a bit hot, but it didn't bother me. Yeah. They used to call me the ever ready Ewok. <laughs> I was just up for anything. Whereas the the older actors playing Ewoks were sort of laying around, going, ugh. You know, how long till we finish, you know? But I was just like... Smoking cigarettes. Give me some more. No, don't smoke in any Ewok suit. Honestly, oh, really? highly, highly flammable. flammable. Yeah. Spontaneously <laughs> <laughs> combusting Ewoks if you smoke. Them. Oh, yeah, so a lot, so of, no smoking lot of hairspray going on as well. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> the, the dangers of being an Ewok. I feel like we're learning a lot today. Yeah, you are. Yeah, but I mean, it wasn't the toughest lives. thing I did, certainly. Yeah. I mean, Marvin in uh, Hitchhikers was oh, far yeah. tougher as far as a suit goes because it was heavy, hot cumbersome difficult to move in couldn't see anything except mm. through monitors that i had inside the head so it was really really tough how to long would you be in marvin for, for well that was the thing you couldn't get out of the suit easily either you know it was it was 20 minutes to put it all on and just to take the head off was a sort of five minute job so they tended to leave me sort of stood in it and i was holding up i mean it weighed four stone the suit God. i wasn't lifting all of that because obviously someone was rested on the floor but you know the head was yeah. a stone in itself Jesus. It was on my shoulders and <laughs> Yeah, I, I felt it at the end of the day. I was glad to get out of that. You know, it was um, it was pretty tough, but it looked fantastic, didn't it? I mean, it was. Oh, yeah. And it just worried me that I was going to fall over because it was very top heavy. And they were saying to me, "This suit cost a fortune. We only have one spare bit of each 
each piece. So if you fall over and sort of cave your head in, we've only got one more and it will cost this much. They Thanks. didn't worry about me inside <laughs> Thanks, it. Yeah. You know, they just worried about, you know, the, the suit. And um, interesting fact. Yeah. If, do you like interesting facts? In I Empire? do, yeah, yeah very okay. much so. Um, interesting fact, the colour of Marvin is BMW white. Why is that? Well, they just use that colour paint. Mm. All right, BMW. sound interested. No, it's interested. <laughs> I just didn't know BMW had their own paint. Like, Well, you know, it, like uh, you can't spray a Ford with BMW colour, even if it's the same colour, because it isn't the same colour. Mm-hmm. So that's why I said that. So it was a colour, you'd spray oh, a BMW colour, that colour. What? <laughs> Boy. Okay, that's just a bit of movie trivia. That's oh, all. I, I thought that. you liked movie no, trivia. No, it's very good. It's... I don't, you know, you think of Marvin as a, as a bit of a BMW. He's not a Ford, as a robot's go. He's clearly a... He, yeah, I mean, he would like to think... As a Ford, yeah. Ford. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's pretty sophisticated, yeah. isn't he? He's got the brain the size of a planet fitted into a head the size of a... Well, it's a pretty big head, that, actually. That was huge Because they kept wanting to make it bigger. They did yeah. like a mock-up in foam, and then they were like, hmm, can it be bigger? And I was like, oh, man, imagine what it's going to be like. And then, and in the end, it was a bit like building a Formula One racing car. Every nut and bolt was weighed and added because the overall weight was getting so heavy by then. They actually started drilling, drilling out bits of metal inside to try and lighten it a bit because it was just getting too heavy for me to move. Wow. So like yeah. a, an Olympic uh, cyclist or something trying to... Honed down the weight of the bike. Exactly, kind of yeah. exactly like that was. But uh, yeah, the things I do for you lot, really. We appreciate it. Do you through. find yourself kind of watching films? I mean, we had Cloud Atlas recently, which has been like set new kind of kind of uh, boundaries in prosthetics with different characters playing across gender and race. And stuff. Mm. Do you find yourself watching films like that and thinking, really, just feeling for the actors and what they had to go through? I know Hugh Grant in that yeah. had a particularly unpleasant. He didn't. I think it was his first time in the prosthetics chair, and he, he didn't enjoy it at all. Yeah, some actors don't take to it at all. I mean, you have to you have to set your mind into that mode of doing that because uh, it's it's as much about the psychological process. You know, sitting in a makeup chair at five every morning and going through that for three or four hours and working in it all day, and it it's it can be a, a bit difficult. Yeah, and if you're not mentally prepared, it can take you by surprise. I mean, I remember talking to Ron Howard actually. Well, he was doing the Grinch with Jim Carrey and saying Jim's having a lot of you know, issues with this, it's hard for him, you know, have yeah. you got any advice? And I was like, I don't know, you just got to just work your mind through it. And I think they actually brought in somebody from the military to kind of yeah. motivate him and, and help him <laughs> with it because he was in it for months. I mean, yeah. day after day, and that's a heavy, heavy old prosthetic he had on with the bodysuit and everything. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it does, physically it's very draining. And uh, Is it getting it off at the end of the day that's sort of demoralising, you just want to go home and... It takes about an hour to take it off because you have to do it properly. If you just tear it off like Mrs. Doubtfire, yeah. you know, it would ruin your skin underneath. So you have to take it off carefully because in less than 12 hours, you're going to have it reapplied again. So you've got to preserve your skin. And uh, I know some actors in sort of low-budget horror who have been in sort of a six- or seven-hour makeup process to work. They'll then... They'll, one actor went home to the hotel in the makeup because <laughs> he couldn't be bothered to get up early again in like four <laughs> hours to come back in again. But he regretted it, honestly. He came in, it was hanging off, it looked a mess. Um, the worst thing about doing prosthetics is you, you clean, it, clean it all off, but then the glue sort of reactivates when you're back at the hotel or wherever, oh, no. when you're in bed, and you, you're stuck to your pillow the next morning. You sort of get up and there's this white pillow stuck to the side of your face like a big marshmallow. It's very unpleasant, yeah, very unpleasant. So Again, what we go through. You know, you think, you lot... You think it's all glamour, champagne and red carpets. It's not. It's not. We, it's, that's 10% of it. Mm. The rest of it's pain and suffering. Toil.
Absolutely. Was yeah. that there? Was um, well, Leprechaun was three hours. Yeah, that was a three hours. Was that which has been the toughest? I mean, the the grip hook makeup for Harry Potter that was a four hour makeup. Plus, with that one, I had contact lenses which were twenty three millimeters in diameter black contact lenses, Ooh. and oh. then dentures that went in as well. So, looking in the mirror, there was no Warwick Davis left. I was looking at a stranger in the mirror, which was weird. Um, so that yeah, very and it was very heavy. It's a, a silicon based makeup. So um, if you've ever sealed up around your shower or your bath, you know how heavy that tube of silicon sealant is. Imagine your, your whole head's covered in that mm. at a thickness of maybe one to two inches in places. You know that's a it. it your your neck muscles are used to kind of supporting your head and balanced because it's always been there. But then add some more weight to different sides of it, some big ears, a big nose. These muscles all start working differently, and you start getting really bad neck before you know it. So, again, I'm moaning. <laughs> I'm moaning about this, aren't I? But I've got the best job in the world. It's an interesting question that kind of mm. occurred to me is, I mean, as somebody who's spent a lot of time in creature suits or creature makeup over the years, I mean, what's your response to the sort of the CG characters and the performance capture that, um, that's going on nowadays? I mean, do, do, do you find it a relief, or are you kind of looking at it going, yeah, but we could do better with a bit of, with yeah. a bit of makeup? I'm a big fan of prosthetic makeups yeah. because I think, you know, as an audience, you can sense life within something, within a creature. You know, a CG character, however amazing it looks, there's that certain subtle something that's missing, something that you can't even see, but I think human beings can relate to. You know, I, I, th- I think there's certainly a place for it, but I, I think combining the techniques is quite an interesting way to go. For example, Voldemort in Harry Potter, mm. you know, he was in a makeup chair for a, for a good couple of hours but then they also did some digital work because obviously they didn't want to chop Ray Fiennes' nose off. So, you know, the two techniques working together, I think, is a really great way of, of, of producing yeah. characters. Um, you know, actors will always be needed for voices and, and now motion capture, that's yeah. a really interesting, yeah. or performance capture, should I say. Is, uh, We're not is allowed a, to call it motion no, capture anymore. Well, I think performance capture is a, a fascinating way to go as well. I haven't done any of that myself yet, but... Uh, be interesting when it coming in and getting a little ball stuck all over you and running around or whatever. I think that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I had a go at that in um, New Zealand. Did you? With Avatar, the Avatar guys at Weta. Oh, yeah. Bloody hard. I mean, I'm not an actor, obviously, but you have to, you're just there and there's, yeah, there's well, the it's acting with nothing. And there's yeah. nothing. And I've got so much respect for anyone that's, that's done it, you know, the Andy Circuses and such. Cause the first time I experienced that was really on Star Wars Episode One, where there was nothing. They stood me in a green screen stage and uh, they said, um, okay, what George said, there's going to be a creature coming up to you. I think it's called a neope, like a big dinosaur thing. Mm-hmm. He said, well, I want you to grab hold of its reins and lead it round and then off over there to the right of camera. So, okay. So, and I, I imagine they would dangle the reins in or something. There was nothing. I had to imagine <laughs> the reins, imagine the creature, imagine everything. Wow. And I did it. And everyone applauded me. Yeah. So you sort of... <laughs> right. that, that was it. And you could see it. And, and they ended up using it in the film, but it's out of focus in the background. Qui-Gon Jinn's <laughs> waffling on to Anakin or something. And you see me out of focus in the background, jumping up, grabbing these reins and leading this creature around. So, uh, I mean, everyone's looking at that, to be honest. They don't care what Liam's up to. <laughs> I think that's the big moment. about him? <laughs> which, which brings us, though, quite neatly to, to Life's Too Short. I, think I did that, that on purpose. The, yeah, it was good. <laughs> uh, it was, uh, he, he was one of the sort of standouts of, of the first series, I think. Um, yeah. What, what's, have you just finished shooting? We just filmed three? a special for Life's Too Short, right. which is, uh, is on at Easter. Mm-hmm. And um, it features Mr. Val Kilmer. You can't tell us what he's going to be doing, this, I'm, I'm sure, but mm. can you give us a clue? 
roughly I mean his his persona is well and truly rift in this. I just it? wonder which I mean, persona because I mean there's different Val Kilmers in I mean there's a few, minds. yeah. I mean I think we we do indeed tap into a few of them uh, in, in Largely Short and it's it's so good. I'm so proud of it. I mean and we have an hour to tell the story this time, which is mm. it makes all the difference because it's like a, a mini movie, you know, and you can really get a great beginning, middle and end out of it and, and Val's inclusion in it, as with all the cameos in the series, it was it was never for the sake of there's an important reason he's there and it makes sense to the whole thing. And, uh, you know, it, it was really great working with him again after all this time. And he was yeah. so happy to be doing this. He was, like, so excited. And, you know, getting to work under the direction of Ricky and Stephen was was a joy for him. He was like, this is so great, the boys are directing. And I said, I don't know, what did you think was going to happen? <laughs> and he was just like, yeah, really, really pleased to be doing it. But, yeah, I can't tell anything about the, the plot at this point. But, uh, we haven't got long to wait. Let's just okay. yeah, at that's least true. Have we? not long to wait. Um, mm. I mean, how do you? I mean, I'm thinking with yourself and Ricky and Stephen on set. How do you get any work done? Are you not just trying to make each other laugh the whole time? It's the most productive set that you can work on. Honestly, I mean, we we normally work from about eight till four, somewhere like that. Ricky doesn't like to work beyond that time. But within those hours, we get more done than I do on Harry Potter, for example, that works from you know seven in the morning to like nine at night. Mm. It's, it's amazing because they know exactly what they want. The whole crew are so tuned in and just very, very efficient. And, um, you know, we shoot loads of material and have time for, for takes that, you know, we'll, we'll do a few takes and they go, great, now have fun with it. And then you can start to do a bit of improv or just feel a bit freer with what you're doing, mm. try things out. And um, I mean, it's, it's an absolute joy to work on. I mean, it's it's... It's it's really a terrific way of working, and and I think that's starting to come across in all of Ricky and Stephen's stuff, isn't mm-hmm. it? You know, you you just get that when you watch it, you get a sense of what well, enjoyment out of it, obviously, because it's comedy. You know, um, w- watched um, some of the outtakes from the Liam Neeson yeah thing, and I just the <laughs> three of you are just corpsing. And then there's one yeah. point where Ricky's just like, I don't think this is going to work. You can't say that because I just can't stop no, laughing. No, because it's sometimes the, those serious moments. He, Liam Neeson's <laughs> trying to be intense, but saying something ridiculous. Uh, and Ricky is the worst person for laughing. Anyway, I mean, is he, he laughs... always the one that that kicks off the the giggles? Or normally, yeah, because you were kind of like <clears throat> normally. A bit well, you well. Try, but then you're looking at him, and he's <clears throat> and everybody's trying to. I mean, in the special, I had quite a few moments of of where I where I couldn't couldn't contain it. Um, but you know, you're not going to get sort of told off for it, you know, because Ricky's doing it as well. So you you can afford to <laughs> let it go, you know. Who came up with the um, the idea that Liam Neeson got cast in Schindler's List because he liked making lists? Ricky Steven <laughs> came up with that. It was brilliant, isn't it? I had to have something to something to like to, to feed him. Yes, because I like making lists. He said it so deadpan and so seriously, didn't he? Yeah. Um, but it's it's amazing when these people come in to do these cameos. They're huge actors, aren't yeah. they? Johnny Depp, Liam Neeson. Uh, Helen Bonham Carter, they're actually more nervous than we are. Whereas we were like, oh, we've got the, you know, such and such coming in tomorrow. And, you know, you do sense that people are a little bit more on edge on the crew and Ricky and Steve, and we all want to make sure they have a, a, an enjoyable day and, and everything goes well, you know. Um, but when they arrive, you realise, actually, you're more nervous about this than we are. <laughs> and uh, But, I mean, everybody's soon made to feel really comfortable and uh, and just enjoy it. I mean, Johnny Depp's day on the series was... It was our last day of filming, and um, it was really fun. He, he wasn't in a rush either. He just said, let's do another one. Let's do another take. And then he'd do something completely different that you wouldn't expect. You know, like start emptying his ash into Ricky's glass. You know, those things we yeah, didn't yeah. know were happening. So <laughs> our reactions to it, like, okay, this is really getting weird. And um, there's, a, there's a part in, um, 
You know, remember the hotel room scene where I go to visit Johnny uh, and do the, the, the sort of river dance thing? Um, do flatly. There's a bit when he said, jump on the bed. He gets me on the bed. Then he jumps on top of me and starts saying, kiss me, kiss me. And I was saying, Ricky, shout cut, quick. <laughs> um, but uh, Ricky was too busy laughing to shout cut. <laughs> but um, what would you have said if... if, if um, Johnny Depp said I, I would that have to said you. Ricky Cut. Would you really? Oh, God. <laughs> Print. <laughs> yes, quick. Now I have evidence. Is there anyone you're still kind of going after that you you still really really want to get on the sh- on the show? Um, Is there a great white whale out there? A great white whale. I mean, I've heard I've heard people want to do it though. That's what's what's oh, fun about it. You know, lots of people like Val being in it is because years a couple of years ago he'd mentioned to Stephen, "I'd love to be in one of your shows." You know, um, I heard that um, Sylvester Stallone is a big fan. Awesome. Of the show, yeah, I could see, I could see working with him would be interesting. And there's a there's a boxer I can't remember his name. Sent Ricky a pair of boxing gloves and wrote on it, wrote on the gloves like I'd love to be a nasty short or something about that. Not, I don't, I don't think it was Mike Tyson, somebody like that. Could have been Mike Tyson. Yeah, is he not in prison? No, I don't think so. Because well, he, he did the Hangover, didn't he? he? Did so he no, he's out of prison. Yeah, although he did the Hangover Part Two, so maybe now he's back in prison. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your favourite actor? My favourite actor would be Gene Hackman, but he's retired, so I don't know if that counts. Yeah, it can count. Can it? Yeah. Well, you can have a favourite actor like John Candy. And Christopher you know, Walken. Yeah, true, oh, true. He's my favourite oh, actor. Cary Grant. Yeah. Those Harry people. Mm. Yours? Uh, John Candy, I think. I like Peter Falk. Yes. Hulk. Yeah, brilliant. I'm into Columbo, big style. Do you talk about TV shows on here as well? Or we not do, really? Yeah. yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah. we do. Anything Columbo. you like. I've got the box set, 86 hours of Columbo. Really? That'll keep you busy on a Sunday afternoon. On Blu-ray? Yes, just no, they're just regular DVD. Okay. I don't think you need it in high def, really. Can you do the thing where he comes in, where, he, where he's about to leave? Yeah, and and goes, then he um, Just one more thing. Yeah. Doesn't he does that? I bought Carl Pilkington the box set of Columbo for Christmas. See, I watched he's Wings of Desire recently for the first time. And I kept thinking, where's the crime that he's going to solve here? Yeah, he, he was so iconic, wasn't he, in that role? You can't see him as anything else. Mm. Really. He's very good in the film. But he was also in The Princess Bride, he and was. I thought he was lovely in that as well. He's absolutely fantastic in that. Yeah, he That's was like solving a crime and then thought, oh, while I'm here, I'll read a bedtime story to this little child. Exactly. Oh. That's what he did. And pinch his cheek. That's a good film, isn't it? That is a that is a great film. That and Willow. That's you know. That was yeah, of course, and Willow. Of course, obviously, obviously. Of course, you really. Just, just, the Princess Bride is quite good as well. Quite good. Yes. Alongside, <laughs> it had its it's had its sort of it's a bit tongue in cheek, wasn't it? I like the comedy yeah. climbing up the cliffs of insanity. Yeah. Andre the Giant. Andre the Giant. Uh, the fun, the inconceivable duel, mm-hmm. duel at the top of the. What cliffs. was his name? That actor. What's his name? Wallace Shawn. Very good. Yeah. Just testing. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you should um, ask the questions, I think. Yeah. I was asking. Better than us. We should mention, we, we've kind of touched on it before, but we should mention a little bit further. You've also been in all eight of uh, of the Harry Potter films. So have, do you miss it yet? You know, it's, you've had a bit of time now. You know, Harry Potter, even though the films are finished, it's sort of living on. Mm. The magic lives on. Because <laughs> not only is there the theme parks in, in, in Florida, the Wizarding World, we've got the studio tour in London. I've been involved in, in both of those quite a lot since. So... You know, I'm often seeing the cast uh, and and talking about it and working amongst it. So it's it's kind of like it didn't really finish mm. uh, in in one way. But I mean, it's an amazing achievement. Eight films, an amazing set of, of films mm. they were, and how we ever managed to finish them because you'd be halfway through one and you'd be looking at the script that they had to still shoot and some of the sequences, thinking, how are they ever going to put this on film? Mm. Yeah. But somehow they did and did it with class and style and. You know, it was brilliant. Um, we, Mike Newell came in last year to talk to us on the oh podcast yeah. and he said that he had one moment where he just thought, 
oh my God, I can't do this. It's just looking around at that, that thing, looking at the script, looking yeah. at everyone around him, all the Warner Brothers executives and just the pressure. It's a lot like of pressure when, from those directors because oh there are a lot yeah. of people looking. You sense you know. that on... Yeah, on I mean, it's a, it's a director's film, but at the same time there's a lot of people standing in the wings, you know, making sure that everything's kept on track. And, you know, I imagine that's quite difficult uh, mm. being a creative on that. But Mike Newell's the reason that um, Flitwick looks like he did. You know, I look different in the first two films. Mm-hmm. But then when Michael Newell came on for the fourth film, in the third film I'd played the choir conductor... Apparently he was shown two pictures of me, one as the new look, Professor Flitwick or the choir conductor, and the other as Professor Flitwick that you knew from the first two films. And they said, oh, you know, Warwick is obviously going to be in this film. How would you like him to look? And he went, oh, that one. <laughs> and that was it. So uh, slightly less makeup, which was, which was a good thing. Happy days. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Ron Howard, well done. <laughs> Director of Willow, that's on Blu-ray. Um, but the, the, what I was going to say to you about Michael Newell was that um, one Friday afternoon we were filming the Yule Ball sequence and uh, I was on stage as, as, the, as, as the Professor Flitwick or choir conductor as well and uh, introducing the acts and the Weird Sisters were one of them. Or actually I can't say that anymore because they're not called that. The band mm-hmm. on stage which consisted of Jarvis Cocker mm-hmm. and yep. other members of Radiohead. Was it Radiohead? I can't remember. I think there was, think there was somebody yeah. from Radiohead. Oh, yeah. uh, anyway... So I'm going to introduce the band, and uh, I, I suggested to Mike Newell, I said, wouldn't it be great, actually, at one point, that I get so carried away, I sort of stage dive off of here, <laughs> wouldn't that be funny? And uh, everyone sort of went, <laughs> in that way that you do when you're sort of humouring somebody, basically. And uh, everyone went home, and uh, on Monday morning he came in, he said, you know what you said on Friday about stage diving? He said, I've been um, thinking about that. And he said, I went to a club over the weekend with the stunt coordinator, I'm thinking, hello. And um, he said, yeah, we're gonna, we were looking at how they do the mosh pit and everything, and, and we think we could have you just jump off. And so they lined a load of stunt boys up into, in the crowd so that, you know, there would be professional people to catch me. Yeah. And um, we, we started cameras rolling, and they said, right, jump. So I jumped onto the crowd, and I was grabbed in places I didn't know I had places. Honestly, it's, it's quite an unpleasant experience. And if you look very carefully at that sequence, you see my, the false teeth I wore as Flitwick, shoot out of my mouth for a second <laughs> and then land back down in my mouth again as I, as I was grabbed Amazing. by somebody. Amazing. Yeah. So Mike Newell went clubbing? Apparently he did to research the, this, yeah. Oh, okay. I think it was just an excuse to go clubbing. Just to have it. I would have loved to have seen that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so there you go. Now, another bit of trivia for you. Um, um, we should also ask about, you know, your other series, I guess, Leprechaun. So, oh. you know, will that ever come back, do you think? Well, it is coming back, isn't it? I think the WWE studios have... Uh, Oh, yeah. have teamed up with Lionsgate to do it, but they're going to use their uh, sort of little wrestler to play the leprechaun that they have. Hornswoggle, wow. what his name is. Mm-hmm. He's on my hit list. Really? Quite right, yeah. too. So they're going to have him play play a sort of wrestling leprechaun, I guess. I don't know. That doesn't seem right that someone else is playing that character. Well, thank you very much. It's like I fun... didn't want to be the one to say it. You Non-canon. I can agree with you. <laughs> he hasn't been on the phone then to ask for your tips on, on the character. No, he hasn't, funnily enough. No. Now, I mean, he's, uh, he's a wrestler, and obviously then it follows that he's going to be a very good actor. So, uh, oh. so why not? <laughs> <laughs> well. Well. <laughs> You've got iced tea on... Uh, we did have iced tea, yeah. it, didn't we? Right. Yeah. It went hip-hop. It went we went, and we went to the hood and we never came back. <laughs> where, did, where, where did that idea come from? Where did I the... don't know. I think what they started to do is kind of look at the demographic and get all scientific and go, who's watching these movies? Okay, it's people in the hood. That's so, it. So that's <laughs> Let's make a movie in the hood. 
<laughs> so we will appeal to the audience that like rap music and and sort of afro combs and things like that. Because I stabbed somebody with one, didn't I? I just had that vision come into my head. Yeah. But bit bit of a story about Ice T. He um he used to hang out outside um outside my trailer in his Mercedes, blacked out Mercedes, and all you could hear was beats coming from it. And he listened to his own album. That's what he was listening to. Was he? Then he came dashing into my trailer one day. He was like, man. And he started ripping all the cushions out of the seats. Everything was fine. I said, what's up? He said, ah. He said, I left my bracelet in here the other day. I said, oh, yeah. Well. Okay. And then he, he pulled it out from my, he did find it. I mean, it was the biggest piece of gold <laughs> you've ever seen in your life. I could have retired if I'd gone down to the pawn shop with that. It was massive. <laughs> Yeah, so he lost his bracelet in my trailer. Wow. So now that you, anytime yeah. you have visitors, presumably you check down the back of the sofa. Straight away. Straight away. Immediately. Absolutely. You can't leave it a day or two. Immediately. Five Ps, you can find anything. Yeah. So he's listening to his own to his own raps in his car. But he, because yeah. he, he's another podcast alumni sort of person. Came in last year to talk to us and said that he couldn't get his wife to listen to any of his music. <laughs> Just refused. Really? She didn't like rap. I, I have so trouble with maybe my that's wife. why I had to listen to it in the car. She, she won't watch any of my films. I had the same trouble. Yeah, it's a wife thing. They have enough of you going on in life. They don't want to have it on the screen or in their ears, do they? No. Well, because he probably raps all the time to her. Morning, honey. How are you? <laughs> Give me some eggs. Yo ho, whatever. <laughs> And, and he would probably rhyme better than that, but he, that's what he would do. So she doesn't want to listen to that as well, does she? It's a fair point. <laughs> I mean, we have to ask at this point, do you remember yeah. the leprechaun rap? Okay. No, but I, <laughs> but I can try and do it and it might come back to me. I find that with lines if you start doing them. Okay. Okay. I come from the land of the Irish Spring. Dublin's the place where I learned my things. So stick with the lad who's lean and green. Let me show you why I'm a love machine. Oh, it's very good. Something like that, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right, yeah. Lock to all, Danalora, Luartha, Danu, to Arthur, to Arthur, Oh, I see, I remember Do you know what that was? I didn't remember the Schnockstanu. What was that? That was uh, one of Willow's incantations. Very good indeed. Yeah. And I did that with Carl Pilgerton yeah. on a beach in India, and he said, that's a load of bollocks. <laughs> can I say bollocks on this podcast? You can absolutely say bollocks on this Well, I'm sorry I did, but I was just quoting <laughs> Mr. Pilgerton. Um, but we were talking about alien languages that you have to learn for a film and, mm. and whether indeed we were going to be in a Bollywood film and whether anyone would know what we were saying because it was in another language. And I said, of course, it's important that you learn it. And I quoted the spell to show I still remembered it after 25 years. Mm. And I do, don't I? Well you do. Do you remember another one? No. To Arthur Grange, Schnocks, Clyde Blunenocht. Do you know oh, what I that one? The last bit. That's the shelter chant. What yeah. have you just done? I've stopped us turning into pigs. Oh, perfect. Phew. <laughs> well, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's good news. Listen, we're, we're out of time. All those spells you. and more on, on the, the Willow Blues. Very last question. Go on. Very last question. Yeah. We had Terence Stamp talk to us through his, his Dish to Woo Lady risotto special last year. Do you have, you, you, you've just literally won Celebrity British Bake Off. Yeah. What would be your pudding? What would be your cake gateau to? Uh, I've got to make a to cake. A ladies, to a I rather heart. like I rather like shortbreads, but um, I, like, I like a nice. I sort of I love a Victoria sponge. Hard to beat. It's very simple, mm. very effective, but slightly overbaked, so it's slightly crisp on the outside. Mm. Paul Hollywood wouldn't agree with that, but just slightly overbaked. And you want a shape dusted in sugar on the top? Oh, a little dusting be? over the top, a bit of jam in there. A leprechaun, sugar leprechaun. <laughs> All right, Warwick Davis, thank you very much. I want to be cake. Thank you. That was magical. Thank you very much.